It's a little more complicated, isn't it, integrating our faith and our work than uh, what some of the t-shirts would say. And as we've been visiting and I've been getting to talk with you and talk about your workplace, these questions have arisen that uh, strike on a much deeper level at what sort of our identity and who we are and, 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 and living in Jesus Christ and, and work and all that. Some questions that I've stumbled across. You know, does, God, does God care about all these hours I'm spending laboring away? Every day I get up and I go to work, does God even care about what I'm doing there? Does my work matter in the great sweep of God's redemptive plan? At the end of the day, I spend all these years working in this place. Will it make a difference in the world? And then you have kind of the relational questions. How do I navigate office politics and still behave like a Christian? Right? Uh, how do I deal with my boss in a godly way? Uh, what if my superiors ask me to do something I believe is wrong? You're caught in that pickle. And then uh, there's the issue of, of costs of being outward about your faith. What, what are the costs of being outward about my faith at work? What if following Jesus causes me to miss a promotion, you know? You could make a hard decision because you love the Lord and you want to follow what he's called you to do and be in your life, and that could cause you to conceivably to miss a, a promotion. And so how do I wrestle and, and grapple and deal with that? Um, what if I'm not even sure God likes what my company is doing? Some of you are working for companies where you may have that tension at times. I'm not sure that I'm, I'm fully on board with this initiative that they're doing or this thing that they're doing. There's a spiritual question. How do I enliven my prayer life so that I approach work with God's help? Right? You get up in the morning, you're late, you get in the car and you start driving to work and there's traffic and you're yelling at people on the road and you're frustrated and by the time you walk into that door, you are so far outside of where you want to be spiritually um, to do the work that God has you to do. And, and so how can you bring those together? How can you walk through those doors, you know, sensitive to the Holy Spirit and, and being led by the Spirit as you enter into work? How do I tell my hurting coworker about the Jesus I know can help him or her? Some of you have developed close relationships with your coworkers and your they're, they're struggling through difficulty and pain, and your heart goes out, and you're trying to help. But at a certain point, you can only help so much. The best thing that you could possibly do is introduce them to the one who has all the answers and all the solutions. And so how do I, how do I bring that in without overstepping boundaries and, and all of that kind of thing? And then there's the existential questions. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy at my job. Should I quit, or does God want me to commit to this? Um, what happens if my job goes away? You know, will God be there for me? Will he support my family and take care of me? Are there any Christians who've asked these questions and found answers and can help me along the journey? These are the deep questions, I think, that we're wrestling with as we try to integrate our faith. And this is the, the journey that we want to embark, embark upon together. Because Jesus cares about all of these questions. He cares about all of them. And he wants to be a part of your life and your work life. And this journey that we're starting today, uh, we've been working on it for a while, is a journey of exploring the answers to these questions together. Now, this sermon is kind of a standalone, but we've been on a pathway that's been leading us towards addressing issues in faith and work for quite some time. It goes all the way back even to 2006 in the early days of this church when we decided that we were going to really put the gospel at the center in a way where we're going to start to work out from that and have it infiltrate all the facets of our lives, and, and we're going to really be serious about filtering everything through the gospel. And so part of the, the entailment of that is that we would eventually get to the concept of work 
and what does it mean to, to, to filter our work through the gospel. So that's what is in the works. And then personally, I married into this. I married um, the, the daughter of one of the leading sort of professors, teachers in the field of faith and work. He holds a chair at Gordon-Conwell, uh, one of the few in the country. Um, he's a professor of faith and work uh, in a Christian sort of context, uh, David Gill, and he spoke here a few weeks back. And so, you know, uh, we're about to celebrate our 20th uh, anniversary, and so for the last 20 years, uh, last 20 years, um, you know, I've been listening at the dinner table, having my ear bent around this whole topic of faith and work, and so it's just been growing in me, and, and, and I've been wanting to pursue it. And finally, we're at a place as a church um, where, we can, where we can do this together because we've got the resources to do it. Um, in pastoring, you know, God has been leading in this direction as, as we've been asking questions, how do we disciple well? How do we disciple people well? You can't do that without also tackling the issue of work and, and what, is, what are God's perspectives on work and how do we, we give this part of our lives over to the Lord. Uh, in the last while, uh, Andrew Franklin, uh, we changed his title to be director of City Mission. He'd been working uh, in large part. Part of his work was, was with the poor in our community. And he's continuing to do that, but we just felt like we need to, to expand that so he's helping lead us in addressing other issues, societal issues in our community. And this is one of those. And so um, this is going to come under his leadership in, in large part as our director of city mission. And uh, so that's been pushing us in this direction. And then finally, the, 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 the sort of icing on the cake was uh, over this uh, last early summer or late spring, uh, pastor Brent received an email from the Kern Foundation, which he is a, a sponsored pastor of the Kern Foundation. They helped him through seminary, and they continue to support him. And they said, look, we've got this grant for churches that want to do work in the area of integrating faith and work. And so if you want to turn in a proposal, you know, we'll consider giving you um, $20, up to $20,000 for initiatives on faith and work. And so we worked hard on the proposal and uh, turned it in, and lo and behold, recently we got message that we got the $20,000 grant to be able to do this faith and work initiative over the next while. So this is exciting news, and we're, um, so we're embarking on something wonderful and, and, and exciting today. And all I can do, though, today is give a little bit of a foundation for this as we start to answer some of these questions. Just like with with our uh, conversation with Justice last week. We can't, it's so massive, we can't go into all the details, but we can begin to give a foundation and a framework. And so I want to do that this morning. I, if you would open up to Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start right in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand and we will hand one to you. It's on page 1 in that particular Bible, uh, so easy to find. Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to be uh, looking in particular this morning at least in this first part, about how God's image is reflected in our work. Okay? That's the, that's the initial point. God's image is reflected in our work. You know, you've heard that we've been made in the image of God. That's what the Bible teaches us. We've been made in the image of God. There are two ways that God works in the world principally. And the, and, and the Bible is sort of divided up into reflecting these two ways. The first one is that God is creator. God is creator. Look in Genesis 1, 1 with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth, earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face 
of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And we can continue on and on as it describes how God created the world in which we live. And if you go all the way to the very end of chapter 1 in verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, this creator, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God makes something that's useful and beautiful at the same time. God makes something that's useful and beautiful at the same time. And then after he makes it, he sustains it. And he even tweaks it a little bit. Um, a little bit down uh, through, through the, the next part, you, he, he says that he saw that it was not good for man to be alone. And so he created the woman. And his, his creation wasn't ready. It wasn't done yet. It wasn't how it should be. And so he, he created the woman. And together they make the relationship that was intended to be. And so he tweaks this. And then he sustains it. We know that throughout um, throughout the Bible, we hear over and over again that, that God is our sustainer. This world, we often think that God made it and He set it into motion, but He sustains it also. We, we wouldn't be able to, to breathe a breath without the sustaining power of God at work in the world and in us. And this impulse to create is also in us. We're made in the image of God, and so as God is creator, we, in a derivative kind of sense, are creators too. Now, we we can't create like God did out of nothing. God created out of nothing. We can't do that. But we can take what God has given and make things out of it. And it's an impulse that's inside of us from the very beginning because it's part of our being made in the image of God. So you see a small child who comes across you know, a few Legos and their immediate response is to take those Legos and, and, and those blocks and to start to put them together and to fashion them into something. And they'll keep tweaking it and working on it until they get it into the thing that they want it to be. It's, it's, a, beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. Now, um, what happens in my house is those Legos get left around sometimes. And at night, in the darkness, in my bare feet, I step on them. And, and I don't have good things to think about the Legos. And so this really helps me because next time that happens and I feel the shoot of pain, I'm going to say, image of God. Image of God. We're made in the image of God to create. And it's, just a, it's, a, it's an emblem of that. We love to do that. But we have jobs that are creative then, right? We, we, we have artists who make things and paint things and sculpt things. And we have builders who, who, and architects who design buildings and then put them together. They make things. And we have inventors who come up with new ideas. and We call it research and development now. Um, and they, they come up with things that haven't been thought of. And they take the building blocks of God's creation and fashion them into something that we can use that's wonderful and, and useful. And we have um, sustainers. We have, we have people who, who continue what has already been made and, and take care of it. Um, we have uh, people who work in government who make sure that, that things try and uh, go along as they're supposed to be, and, and peace officers who, who keep the peace. And, and we have tenders of, of gardens and, and, and things of that nature, farmers who take care. These are, these are all part of that creative and that sustaining impulse that's part of what God built into us when he created us. And so that's the first way in which the image of God is reflected in our work, is, is we're creators. 
just like God is a creator. But God is not just a creator. The other part of the story of the Bible is that God is also a redeemer of broken things. First, God created, and and you know the story of Adam and Eve and how they ate of the forbidden fruit when they weren't supposed to, and and, and, and they fell, in a sense. They sinned, and, and, and they, they, they ended up falling from God's intention. And then as an outworking of that fall, all of creation was touched by it. And so decay and illness was entered into the world that we know um, because of the sin and because of the fall. And so the world's broken. It's not how it's supposed to be. And you experience this every day when you leave the house and you, you read the news and you you encounter the people around you, you experience the brokenness of this world. And, and God, when that happened, had a decision to make. Would he turn his back on the world that he created and has now fallen? Or would he turn his face towards the world and enter in to bring about redemption of what's broken? And in Genesis 12, we see God's first movement. If you would turn over there, it's page 8 in that Bible that we hand out. We see God's first move in the process of redemption. Now, he did it in a way that you maybe didn't expect. He, he wanted to do it through people. We, we've talked about this before. Everything God does, practically, he does through people, even though oftentimes that's probably one of the least effective ways to do it, right? When you think about how we are and how we, we screw things up and, and how sinful we are, and yet God continues to accomplish his work through people. Genesis 12, in the midst of a shattered world, we read this. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God calls this one man Abram, but it's never just for him. It's, it's so that he could become a great nation, but it's never just for that nation. It's so that great nation could become a blessing to the, all the nations, to the world, entire world. And in this way, God is redeeming what's broken. He's, he's turning around the fall. He's undoing the fall. That's what God is about. And we fast forward, and this nation of Israel was incapable of, of carrying out the mission that they were giving. And it was really nothing in particular about them. They were regular sinful people, and it had it been us, we would have done the same thing. We would have failed to, to carry it out. And at the end of all that, God says, okay, I guess you can't do it. I'll come. And so Jesus comes on the scene, the divine Jesus, to bring about what the nation of Israel was incapable of doing, which was what? The redemption, the redemption of all things. That's what God is on about in the world after he created it and after it was broken. So Jesus comes and he lives and he teaches and he points to the kingdom of God. And, and then at the end of his life, he goes earthly life, he goes to the cross and he hangs there on the cross and, and the whole backstory of that history is that he's being an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world on that cross. And, and Jesus on that cross breaks the, the power of sin and reveals the heart, the redemptive heart of God. And as he does so, suddenly the process of redemption takes a new turn and now people can get back into right relationship with God and, and Jesus proves that the the, the force of sin has been broken as he's resurrected from death because the wages of sin is death. And so if, if Jesus can overcome death, he can overcome sin. And, 
And so it's a, it's a turning point in this process of redemption. God is saying, this is my heart to redeem a broken world. Come to me. God's a redeemer. He's a creator and he's a redeemer. And incredibly, the same impulse for redemption is in us. You walk into the room and there's the Lego structure and it's broken. And what does the child do? Runs to it to fix it, to put it back together, make it how it was supposed to be originally. That's what's inside of us, this impulse to redeem what's broken. And so we have jobs around redemptive work. We have people who are working in healthcare, and, 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 and so they're addressing needs of illness and those who are struggling into the decay of the brokenness of this world, and they're trying to help, trying to redeem the situation. Those who are working in biotech, and I know we have a number in, in our community, those who are they're trying to come up with drugs that would reverse the, the decaying effects and the illness of the world. We have people who are in social work, and they're entering into some of the darkest places in our society to be a healing balm there, to redeem what's broken and, and dark and, and needs to be redeemed. And I know many of the nonprofits that, that you work for, they're about redempt, doing redemptive work, redeeming what's broken, fi- fixing what's wrong. God cares about all of these things. And then, and then we have on the same side of redeemers, we have those who are doing the physical redemption of things. So we have the builders of things, but then those things get broken because this world is, is fraught with decay. And, and after a time, the building gets broken down or the car gets broken down or the bike gets broken down. And so we need repairers of buildings and, and cars and, and bikes and the things that we build need to be taken care of. They, 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 need to, they need to be redeemed in a sense. And so we have people who work to fix what's broken. We could go on and on and on. And all of these jobs, all of, these, all of this work fits into how God made us and who his character is and the image of God in us. And it says, after God made us in his image, he charged us to be fruitful and to have dominion. So this work of creation and redemption is under that charge to be fruitful and to have dominion over the world. And he said that this, this is good. The work you're doing is good. See, God cares about this. And this is what we want to explore. The work that we're doing and how it fits in with who God is. And some of the ways that we're going to do this, I'm not going to go through all the different initiatives that were part of our proposal, our grant for the Kern Foundation, but let me just highlight a few of them. First of all, it may seem like a small thing, but I think it's a mindset thing, is we're going to, we're going to engage in prayer around our work. And so we want to be praying for you and the specific struggles that you face in your particular field of work. And so in a couple of weeks, we're going to speak on God's heart for health and on that day, we're going to have all the healthcare workers stand up, okay? And then we're going to have all the rest of us put our hands on them. And then we've already got somebody who works in the field who's going to come up and lead us in a prayer for those who are working in healthcare, so that we as a community can support them in the work that they're doing. And then hopefully once a month we'll do this. Maybe the next month we'll have all those who are in education stand up and we'll, we'll lay hands on these people We'll have somebody who's in education come up and, and lead us in a prayer for the people in that field and for our artists and our scientists. And we'll just keep going down the line until everybody's prayed for so that you, we, can, we can instill this whole 
project with prayer and, and, and petition, petitioning God. So if you're a healthcare worker in two weeks, September 7th, we're going to be praying for you. So make sure you come so we can pray for you. We want to educate people with preaching and teaching and Gospel Academy class and a stewardship class we want to offer. We want to do all of this as part of this initiative for faith and work. We want to help you network a little bit better. And so we want to start some vocational affinity groups. Maybe once a quarter, all the scientists in the community could could get together. And then one of them who's um, working on integrating their science and the gospel could maybe lead a conversation about how that looks in their life. And then we could talk about and share ideas for how to integrate faith and work in that particular discipline. The educators can get together. The artists can get together. And we can talk about what does it mean to integrate And our college students who maybe don't have a career yet, but maybe they're taking a particular major, they're they're in a particular major, wouldn't it be great if they could get in? What if you're a chemistry student and you could hang out with chemists who've been in it for years and years and years, and you could learn before you even go into your career what it means to integrate your faith and integrate your work? So we want to provide that opportunity. And then lastly, we want to inspire the congregation through some kind of conference uh, in the spring or next fall. And and Dr. Gill will help us put all this together. Um, But we'd like to have an opportunity to gather lots of people and experts in this field. And so this grant is going to enable us to do all those things. Now, in the next week, we're going to have up on our website the details of the Faith and Work Initiative and a whole list of of the different uh, particular uh, projects that are going to be a part of this. And so you can check that out on the website. And there's so much more to be said about all of this. Uh, it's, it's, it's a huge field, uh, and we have time to tease it all out. But I wanted to give you something practical to think about today as you launch off. Monday's coming, Monday's tomorrow. Something practical to think about as you uh, consider your work. And it's really under this theme of this, that God cares about your work. So your work is reflective of the image of God, but God cares about your work also. And he cares about it in a couple of different ways. And, and we can think about work in terms of tasks and relationships. We've got both of those going on in work. And so let me talk a little bit about tasks. God has given you some sort of skill, some sort of gifting, some sort of passion for a particular kind of work. And that's a God-given gift. That's, that's what he wants you to use and contribute to the world. And that's a beautiful thing. And one of the most beautiful pictures of that comes back from the book of Exodus when they're going to build the tabernacle And they call forth from the community those artists and designers who are able to do that kind of work. And it it says that the Holy Spirit is on them to empower them. Now, this is for a particular kind of a thing, but but I just it's it's reflective of the the way God works in 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 our lives. Um, It says in chapter 31 of, of Exodus, in verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, See, I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. Now, most would say there's a kind of a special coming of the Holy Spirit in that particular instance for the building of the tabernacle. And yet we also would have to acknowledge that God does make us in particular ways to do particular kind of things. And we find that we gravitate towards certain work and we have an aptitude for it and a gifting for it. And that's good. That's good. And we should go with that. 
And we should get lost in that. And when you're in, in your work and you're, you're doing your work and you're getting immersed in it and you're, you're just getting absorbed and time disappears and, and you're, just, you're, just, you're just totally consumed with it, that's good. That's part of what it means to be a human being. And, and I think of, of David dancing uh, before the Lord. He's bringing the ark into, uh, into its home. And he's so excited about this aspect of, of being king and, and getting to, to bring the ark home. And he's dancing in front of it. And he's just lost. And people are, you know, his wife is sort of making snide comments about him because he's got just a loincloth on and he's dancing. But he's just lost in the work that he's doing. And he loves it. And there's something good about that immersion and what, what God has called you to do and just, just loving it. I, when I was younger, I saw Chariots of Fire, and, and many of you probably seen that. It's a story of Eric Liddell, one of the great British sprinters, and he's a Christian. And he said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. He understood that he was a creation of God, and this unique gift to run fast that he had honored God. And so when he ran, he just felt all those pieces coming together. And now, maybe you don't run fast, but maybe you can do some other things, right? And you're, you're called to, to do some other things. It, it really, it can be anything, anything that God has called you to do. When you, when you write something well or, or when you lead well in your organization or when you, when you interact well or when you, when, you, when you work with numbers well, right? You may think that this has nothing to do with the world, but it's, it does. It's all connected. It matters. And even if, you know, the greatest thing you did in a day was write a really good email, awesome. That's great. You know, excellence. God loves that kind of a thing. And so we pursue that out of, out of a reflection of God's excellence and, and, and who he is. Um, all the things that we do, we can, we can do well and to the glory of God as we pursue excellence for that. For that, So we could talk so much more, and there are more scriptures that, that dive into that, and I'm still sort of processing the task part of it. We all have tasks that we carry out in our work, and God cares about that. He cares about our work in that way. But there's another issue to think about, and that is the relationships of work. There are the tasks of work, and there are the relationships of work. And this is a much more complex area, right? When we think about the relationships associated with our work. Uh, I was speaking, was talking with somebody about their work situation and it was uh, a difficult one. This person had, you know, we've got these org charts where we work, right? And so this person was here on the org chart, and this other person was here, and, 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 and the boss higher up decided to advance this person over this person. And so this is the one I was talking to, and she was saying to me, you know, it's, it's so, I'm in such a difficult place because now I'm overseeing the person that used to oversee me, and she's bitter and angry at me, and she's thwarting my work, and yet I, I feel like I can't say anything about it. And so how do I act like a Christian in this circumstance? How do I deal with this? And then, Pastor, you're coming along and you want me to share the gospel with her. Like, how do I put all that together? It's so complicated. And our relationships at work oftentimes are like that. They're very complicated. And, and so how do we navigate them? How do we navigate them? Well, there are a couple kinds of relationships that we have. We have our formal relationships and our informal relationships at work. So the formal ones are the org chart and where you are on the org chart and all of that. The informal ones are the friendships that you develop when you go out to coffee or when you're standing around the watering hole and you're having that just sort of free-form conversation. And, and the two affect one another, but they can be somewhat separated. And, and the formal ones are difficult, the org chart. And, and living in the org chart 
and knowing how to influence your organization and the people around you in a way that honors God but doesn't cross boundaries that are going to have you know, negative ramifications on you. Sometimes you've got to cross those boundaries and just, and just let uh, difficulty come. Uh, but, but sometimes you want to try to navigate that. And so Andrew Franklin and I have been wrestling with this, and we wanted to take our cues from Jesus in talking about this and, and ask the question, how did Jesus influence the world around him? And, and if you look at the life of Jesus, scholars and, and many tradition has uh, oftentimes talked about the life of Jesus in terms of prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. And so one of the ways that we can think about influencing the world around us is to think about how we do it from those three different perspectives. So first of all, priest. Uh, The priest is all about the presence of God in the community. The priest is associated with the tabernacle, and it's about the presence of God. And so when we uh, exercise our priestly influence in the community where we are, we're exercising the influence of example and being, being present there. And we can all do this. Wherever we are, we can live like Jesus, or at least strive to in his strength as he enables us and model Christ's likeness to the community around us in the way we relate to others, in the integrity with which we can c- conduct our dealings, uh, in the way that we show compassion and love. All of these are opportunity, opportunity, opportunities for us to be examples in the workplace, to be that priestly example. But Jesus was not just the, 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 the ideal priest. He was also the ideal prophet. Now, what, is the, what does the prophet do? And, and by the way, uh, if you think of it, an example of the priest, you know, we might say in our day, uh, we, we often refer to Mother Teresa, right, as the, as the kind of a priestly example. She, she exemplified all the qualities that we would want to exemplify in the world. And because of that, she gained entree into all kinds of environments because of her example of her life. And so that's sort of the priestly one. But, but there's also the prophetic chair to sit in. Um, the prophet speaks into a community of people or organization or a culture to call that culture into rightness. And so if you're looking for an example, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. would be an example, uh, a contemporary example of somebody who didn't have the, the structural authority but spoke into the community to bring about transformation and, and to make things the, more, the way God more intended it to be. And, and many of us, maybe all of us, have that opportunity in our culture at work to be that prophetic voice. To say, hey, you know, I'm going to take a risk here with my boss, and I'm going to shoot an email off and say, you know, we're not really doing this in a way that's right and good. Could we think about doing it this way and changing things? To, to have that prophetic voice to call our organization to what's, what we know is right and good, to, to, more, to more reflect um, the values that, that we know are, are, are right for the world because we've been taught through the scripture that they are. And so we can be that prophetic voice in the community. So there's the priestly example, and then there's the prophetic voice. And then lastly, there's that king voice. Um, the king is the one who actually has authority over others. And so the king can actually make decisions about the culture, the work culture. And some of you may be over departments or you may be um, leading a group of people where you have real decision-making power. And you can make decisions that will reflect your Christian values, your biblical values, and, and, and it will change the culture in which you work. And even some of you are in the place where you have 
uh, you, you have authority over the vision of the organization and the direction, and so you can speak into that so that it's a vision that honors God and you can influence in that way. That's when you exercise your kingly influence. And the great, the great example of this is William Wilberforce, who uh, during the time of slavery in Great Britain was in Parliament. He became a Christian, and then he, he thought he would get out of being in Parliament now that he was a Christian, and he would, he would maybe go work in a church and serve the Lord. And, and so he talked to his mentor, John Newton, the one who wrote Amazing Grace, and John Newton said, no, I think maybe you should consider staying in Parliament because perhaps God has you there for a reason, to bring about change in our society. And so William Wilberforce stayed in there, and he, he spent his whole career combating slavery. And by the end of it, he, he won. He was successful. And they were able to eradicate slavery many, many, many years before the United States was. And some would say in part because you had this, this, this Wilberforce who exercised the kingly influence of, of real authority in the government to make a change. Okay? So we have priestly. We all can do that. We have prophetic. And most of us can have opportunity to do that. And then kingly influence. Some of us will be able to influence the, the world and the culture of our work through the authority that we've been given. And so I want to ask you, where are you and what opportunities do you have? Are you exercising your priestly? Are you being the example? Are you, are you speaking up when you have opportunity to? And then if you have authority, are you using that power and that authority to bring it under the Lord's, the Lord's watch and care and desire? That's the question we want to challenge us with this morning on that. But we also have these informal relationships. So we have the formal relationships, and we have the informal ones. And these are the relationships that are built over time. You know, uh, there's, there's the conversation around the watering hole. There's the, the coffee break. There's the lunch. And you're getting to know people outside of work, in a sense. And there's friendships developing there. And, and you're getting to see the needs in people. And we're also called to be in that journey with our coworkers, too, to the extent that God would allow us to pray for them, to ask them what's going on in their life, to bless them. When we see what's, what's broken or what's hurting, and if we can meet the need to bless them and to be the hands and feet of Christ, to share the story of Jesus in our lives as we get opportunity, and to tell them the message of the gospel. And in doing so, we can, we can exercise that kind of influence in our informal relationships. There's so much more to be said about all that, but like I said, today is, is a bit of a foundation building day. Um, a little while back, we had Dr. Gill uh, here speaking on this topic, and, you know, he, he used this phrase, salting the workplace, and he went to Matthew where it says, you are the, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, and, and, and that's what we're called to be, is that salt. And you remember, he talked about how salt is, is not just for the taste it's a preservative. And, 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 and if you think about all the relationships represented in this room, and all the, the work environments represented in this room, imagine the potential for us to be salt, a preservative in those places, pointing towards Christ, you know, redeeming what's broken, creating what needs to be created, God has enlisted in this to be salt, and, and we need to help each other if we're going to be that. And that's what this church is really about in this initiative, is to help each other to be salt 
in the workplace, to pray for one another, for those relationships that are broken and hurting, to pray that God would somehow intervene when it seems like there's no way forward, to ask God to, to provide a way forward. When we want to have that take step out and maybe courageously speak into something that's broken and take that prophetic voice for our, our community to be praying for us and enabling us and strengthening us for that. That's what it means to be salt in the workplace, and that's what we want to be for each other. And that's what we're going to do as we pray and we educate, we network a little bit more around that, and we inspire each other in this. And so I'm looking forward to it, and I want to invite you to take this journey seriously. And let's be about salting the workplace together as God enables us to do so.